Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk some USC football. We're counting down, what are we like, 12 days away from the start of the USC football season, 11 days, something like that. It's crazy. About a week and a half, we will have some USC football for 2020, which I didn't think was going to happen a couple months ago, but now we got it. Going to be rolling up on USC Arizona State on November 7th. So we're going to keep going with our previews today. I got Keely, your on the show, we're going to preview USC special teams. So we'll go into that. Uh, and then we're also going to answer some questions and talk about some of the major topics around USC football today. If you have any questions or comments for us, please email us podcast at uscfootball.com or you could call or text us at 424-254-9141. We appreciate the voicemails and the texts and the emails, but we really love when you go onto the Apple podcasting app, leave us a five-star rating positive review, any kind of comments, feedback, suggestions, and any questions you have. And if you get a question, we'll bump you up to the top of the list. And I think we have one today. So we'll talk to Keely Yor about that and many other things. Keely, how are you doing today? Hello, hello, Ryan. I'm doing well. I'm excited. This is like technically our last off-season pod, if you will, because next week we'll be ready to go. We'll have something to do on Saturday. So I'm excited. Yeah, this will be the last time we're doing a show where we don't have a game to talk about the next week. So we'll be, we'll crank up our previews. We'll be doing some uh, game previews and we'll do our normal show with Harvey Hyde and Keeley and myself. And I'll do uh, an extra podcast where we'll do a game preview podcast. So it's going to be hard, Keeley, like switching into that mode and getting into like, wow, we're going to actually talk about games. I know. And I think I'm going to have to wait until I actually see live football in front of my face for it to fully like, like, make sense in my head like oh there's a season happening i'm not sure if it's gonna feel like a fake season considering it's gonna be november and like that'll be the first game but you know i'll take any football at this point i'm just excited it's fall i think it's a little chilly now here in southern california which is hot like it was just hot i'm like wearing a long sleeve shirt which is crazy like i haven't done that in quite a while uh that the, the weather's got a little cooler we're ready for football uh, if you want to check out our sponsor, Trader Joe's, they got some cool fall things that you can eat. And I was looking on another, I got another, uh, I guess this is savory. Maybe it's a little sweet because it's a muffin. But uh, if you look under their recipes and there's some cool stuff there, they're stuffing muffins. I'm a huge stuffing fan. And also I love muffins. So you get a box of TJ's cornbread stuffing mix. Uh, you get some, some tables, four tablespoons of TJ's unsalted butter and some water. And mix it all together. Uh, there's uh, some dried, tra- excuse me, dried cranberries, uh, canola oil spray, some turkey meatballs, and some gravy. Put it all together. You get these stuffing muffins. So I want to check that out. Uh, like, so it's not just you can pull, you can buy some of the pre-made stuff, but they also have some cool recipes that use some of their ingredients. And I need to try a stuffing muffin, Keely. Very nice. It's a fun name too, but I'm just surprised you're you're keeping with your savory streak, Ryan. I'm very proud of you. Great recommendations. I'm trying, but I, are you a stuffing person? I just love stuffing. Like it's my one of my favorite things at Thanksgiving. 
I feel like it's very hit or miss. If it's too dry, then it just tastes like breadcrumbs. So I feel like it has to be very good for me to like it. Yeah, you need some good stuffing. Uh, back before I uh, started frying turkey, I used to stuff the bird with it. So now I got to make it separately, but in a casserole disc dish. But yeah, you add some wine to it, or you know, you definitely want to use some like chicken broth. Uh, you don't want it to be dry for sure. So, um, but yeah, I'm a, I don't know, big stuffing guy. Mashed potatoes, love the all all of that stuff. But I got to try the stuffing muffins now, and it is fun to say. So I like that. I, it sounds like I'm screwing it up. I'm like stuffing muffins. Like nope, that's the way it is. Okay, all right. <laughs> Um, nice. Well, we mentioned at the top of the show, we did get uh, a couple of new five-star ratings, and we do have one question in there. So maybe you want to uh, read those off, Keely. Sure. First off is from Dexter, who sa- gave us five stars and says, best USC coverage. This is my go-to show for the best analysis and discussion for everything. USC Trojan football, game analysis, recruiting updates, coaching info, interviews. If you're looking for the best USC coverage, you've found it here. So thanks, Dexter, for that. Very nice, Dexter. And Thank you. He said best a lot, which I like. That's cool. Yeah, that's great. We love the word best. And then uh, CT Guys, I think he's the first one who's like listened to di- directions well. So thank you, CT Guys. He left us a question. Are we going to do it now, Ryan? Skip yeah, let's the do five it. We said bump him up to the top. Priority? Yeah, yeah. Let's prioritize. True, true. Okay. Great conversations and lots of info. Five stars. Uh, so first off is just his general uh, take on this season. He says, very optimistic, but this is basically the same team minus Michael Pittman and Austin Jackson uh, that was humiliated by Iowa in the Holiday Bowl. What needs to be proven is how much difference the new coaches will make. So ho- I'm hopeful so far, but need to see a tight game to be reassured. And then his question is, is 2020 a real season or a surreal season? Good question. Maybe, could it be both? Could it be <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it should be both, pretty much. Yeah, we're we're get, I'm sorry. So go ahead, Keely. Sorry, go ahead. No, sorry, Ryan. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was gonna say it's real in the sense that you're now testing out the theory. Does the quote unquote Notre Dame rebuild work now that you have new coordinators on now full on every side of the ball, including special teams? So it's it's real in that sense where you're gonna be still evaluating this team as harshly as you would as a normal season, I think. But it's surreal just in the sense that a couple months ago we didn't even think this was gonna this was gonna happen. So I that's why I think I take both in this answer. Yeah, it, I definitely think it can be both, and we're getting to the nitty gritty portion of the season for other sports or for other conferences. You know, USC obviously in the Pac-12 hasn't started yet, but the Big Ten started last week. So this is that two week of doom and gloom time when the big the, the only Power Five conference that isn't playing is the Pac-12. But the Big Ten is unique because they have no wiggle room, right? They don't have, they have a nine-week schedule and they have a nine, I mean, nine-game schedule and then nine weeks to play it in. We're already seeing several uh, Wisconsin quarterbacks uh, go, you know, be testing positive for COVID-19. There was a report earlier today, and by, you know, by the time you listen to this, maybe it'll be official that the Nebraska-Wisconsin game could potentially be canceled. And you, it's hard to say postponed because really there's no time to play it. So if you're having Big Ten games, and if you start to see a few of those get canceled, you know, a couple of big-time programs in Nebraska – in Wisconsin, you know, Wisconsin's a team that, you know, could win their division. Um, and what if they get one less game or two less games than other people? And then they go undefeated and they beat on Ohio state in the championship. Are you able to, um, 
you know, make a playoff. So I think that's significant. And it's, you know, it goes along the lines with the Pac-12 because they'll be doing the same thing just with a shorter schedule. And then as games get canceled and other conferences are postponed, you're sort of running out of places to put them, especially for some teams. So you might get some of those, you know, lose some of those weeks as well. So I think it's a real season. I mean, we're seeing real games, but it can be really surreal too because we might get, uh, you know, just weird schedules that are uneven where one team plays all their games, another team misses two or three or more. Uh, it's yeah. I think it's gotta be both. I think it's real. I think we're showing this real. We've seen, uh, some good games out there. We've seen Indiana upset Penn state, you know, you're seeing stuff like that happen, but it's also going to be surreal because we just don't know, uh, the, what's going to, you know, week after week, there's just going to be testing, you know, Nick Saban was tested for COVID-19. I mean, there's some crazy stuff that's been going on this year. Yeah, I feel like we should almost revisit this question like three games into the Pac-12 season to see if maybe feeling the games, if it feels maybe more real or surreal. I think after we we, we experience a COVID game, it might change our opinion. Yeah, and, and how does the daily testing, uh, you know, impact the, you know, I think it, I think it will do a good job of not allowing it to spread and and really become a menace throughout the team, but it doesn't stop a player or two here or there from getting it. Uh, We saw like a couple of the Wisconsin quarterbacks, I believe, uh, get it. And, you know, that's going to potentially be an issue. Like if a guy like Keaton Slovis got it, like that would be a huge deal for USC. If you're, you know, back, you know, third string middle linebacker gets it, it's like, okay, it doesn't really matter. But um, you know, if a Talanoa Funga gets it or a Drake Jackson or something like, you know, star player, I think it could have a, you know, a somewhat major impact. And, um, uh, we don't know all the protocols for the PAC 12, but there's some interesting ones in the big 10 and the 21 day quarantine. Uh, you know, if you test positive from the day you test positive, it's 21 days that you're out. And part of that is they want to be able to do the cardiac testing to make sure that, you know, you might have no symptoms, but you could still potentially have some sort of cardiac element there so they want to make sure you're tested for that and you don't go back out and play if your heart got slightly enlarged or something like that so it's a pretty strict one in the uh, in the big 10 um the coaches don't have to fall under that because they're not really worried about the cardiac stuff so i think jeff brahm uh for purdue he tested positive as well so he had to be out for a little while so yeah this is i think it's going to be one of those things where it's just Every week, every day, you know, when you're covering USC and you're worried about some weird story coming out every day. Well, this is all across college football. And some weird story is very, you know, the potential for that happening is very, very high. Yep. Indeed. So surreal for now. (laughs) Surreal for now, but it will be real. We're seeing actual games. um, And, you know, in my opinion, like, yeah, you don't want to see guys going out testing positive. But I, even if there's a whole bunch of positive tests, my just from what I've seen and what I've read, it seems like the guys are mostly, you know, going to be okay. They're healthy. They're going to have to be out for a while. They'll quarantine and they'll come back. So I'm not seeing like the, you know, the risk, uh, as much. I mean, yes, you don't want to have guys test positive, but we haven't, I, I haven't heard any college player really in, in the power five or anything, Keely, of you, of you that like tested positive and like really was, was having a rough go at it. I, I haven't heard that if that's happened. 
No, I don't think so. But I mean, not to get back to summer me, but we still don't fully know what this looks like long term. We're a couple months into players uh, playing football with it or after becoming positive. So I think it's still it's too early to even make a judgment call on whether or not this really impacts them, in my opinion. Yeah. So we'll see. But every week we're going to learn a little bit more. We're going to see some things that we never expected. And that's just going to be the surreal part of this college football season. Um, yeah. Well, we got some topics, Keely, uh, to get to. We had a, uh, we had a hell week last week, apparently. And <laughs> a lot of, uh, a lot of hitting, a lot of full pads practices, uh, a scrimmage, 81 game scrimmage over, uh, over the weekend. Clay Helton was pretty upbeat. It's weird because, you know, they'll have a scrimmage on Saturday and we don't really hear anything official because we can't go to practices until Monday when Clay Helton would talk about it. We did hear about sort of some of the Hell Week stuff last week as practices were going on you know, during those Zoom meetings in the morning. But, you know, we get the morning Zoom meetings. So you're not getting what happened in practice that day. You only get what happened, you know, prior to that. Um, but overall, what were your it sounded like? I mean, for what they've said, like we said, we can't see full disclosure. We can't see it. But for what they said, it sounds like it was a pretty effective hell week. Yeah, you know, it's this is kind of torture for me as a reporter. Skepticism, I like it. You can tell right away. Skepticism, (laughs) Keely. Yeah, I'm coming out in in full force because I think if we had done this podcast, Ryan, on Friday, I would have felt much better about this team and and the way that they're practicing. You know, I probably would have thought maybe Todd Orlando has had his – his way he's been able to have more physicality will this last but then you come into press conferences this week and we hear from clay helton that they're dialing things back a little bit this week they're going into mock game week mode they want to make sure that the young freshmen are prepared and know what a game week looks like Uh, this upcoming saturday the scrimmage is going to be dialed back a little bit we might see uh, we won't see but they'll probably see more from uh, the second string and third string guys because clay helton said that the first string is kind of pretty much figured out or it's coming into shape is what he said so you know i'm torn ryan it's really hard as a reporter because i we've seen enough clay helton practices to know that sometimes we will both see the same practice and clay helton will say one thing and we'll think a different thing you know ryan so i it sounded very good it sounded like things have were physical in USC's Hell Week. They did practice. They did full padded practices every week. Um, it sounded good. I'm just, I guess, I'm just really skeptical, Ryan. And I think the last couple of years and and Clay Helton speak has kind of forced me to be as skeptical as I am right now. Yeah, skeptical, Keely. That's okay. We like that. You know, we want you to. If you're going to be skeptical about some of the COVID stuff, we want you to be skeptical about the team too. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean. I was, I think just from listening to Todd Orlando talk, I felt better about these were going to be more physical practices. And it sounded like the hell week was something different than we had seen before. I don't feel like there was a, a week where you did, you know, m- more pads than you normally would in a week. Usually it would be like kind of the minimum. Um, it felt like this was a, a week that you did a little bit more. Uh, they had an 81 play scrimmage and all that. But I would, I would share the, the mock game week skepticism, which because we've, you know, we've got, I went over that with Harvey Hyde in the last show and we've talked about it many times uh, when we have talked Keely, but it did sound like for what Clay Helton was saying that it was going to be sort of a half competitive, half preparation mock game week. So they weren't going to get away from 
the competitive aspect completely, which I believe that was the plan before. It was just full, you know, fully focus on uh, the next opponent, be fully focused on Arizona State. And uh, it's funny, Harvey Hyde was talking about that. And he said that's more of like an NFL model. And this, these aren't NFL teams. They don't know everything. you got to keep going. you got to keep being competitive. And it sounds like, at least from what Clayton's saying, they're, it's going to be like a half-and-half half thing where they'll be competitive for part of it, but they'll also be game-planning too. Yeah, and that's why I don't understand why you would take the foot off the gas right now, at least in this final week of training camp. I might understand why you shift things when you're actually about to play Arizona State next week. But, I mean, if you're really going to try and change the culture around this team and make uh, a difference this season, you have to get out of your comfort zone. And I think that's specifically for Clay Helton. His comfort zone is going into mock game week this week and kind of dialing things back a little bit. Um, and we've seen previous mock game weeks. I know we we alluded to one, I think it was in 2018, where they looked really physical. And we were like, okay, is this going to continue? And then it never did. So the, it might be a physical mock game week. We don't know. But just knowing how Clay Helton speaks, it just sounded like this was kind of the compromise, maybe, that like Todd yeah. Orlando got hell week and then Clay Helton gets his mock game week the next week. You know, I don't know. I think competition always helps. And just hearing from guys like Elijah Griffin and Chris Steele, who are more honest in their interviews last week, they talked about uh, they didn't really practice hard in 2019. And he said that they both said that the coaches uh, didn't, the defensive the last defensive staff didn't really bring the energy to practice. And so when you have your players saying that um, obviously you want to keep up, what they've been praising so far and they've been praising how physical the practices have been and how uh, high energy the defensive coaches have been. So I'm just curious how this goes. And, you know, given the fact that we can't see anything, my, I have to rely on my gut and my gut knows what Clay Helton likes to do. And so I think that's why I'm leaning more skeptical, but, you know, even to the point where, getting Clay Helton's comparison of the first scrimmage to second scrimmage. When we first heard about this first scrimmage, Clay Helton sounded very optimistic about how it went. But then his review of the first scrimmage after seeing the second scrimmage, it sounded like he didn't like the first scrimmage as much as he originally did. I don't know if you caught on to that, Ryan. But because he said, you know, Craig Niver and Dante Williams uh, had coverage adjustments. They limited the explosive plays. So what does that tell you about scrimmage one? There were a lot of explosive plays from USC's <laughs> offense against USC's defense. So, you know, it, it just makes you wonder. you got to read the tea leaves in these press conferences. So it just makes you wonder how much, uh, how probably far behind, not far behind, behind the defense was, you know, that first scrimmage. And that can be understandable. It's a new defense. They've had such a long time off it's been a long off season so this offense is probably going to have the edge in camp and early in camp but you know that just proves to me in my point that sometimes you just have to take it all with a grain of salt because clay hilton can even change his assessment of scrimmages from week to week so you know ryan i'm skeptical you hope that this defensive staff for usc's sake can can institute some culture changes but i'm i'm holding my breath till november 7th yeah, Todd Orlando wasn't actually there for the scrimmage. He was uh, taking care of a, a family for a personal matter. So um, it was Craig Nivar, I think, uh, basically running running the defense. And I, I think you're right about the the mock game week was sort of like, it's kind of like situational mastery. Like, I get it. You've said it. But you know how that has sort of been like a turnoff for a lot of people. So maybe you don't use that term anymore, you know. Maybe you don't use mock game week uh, anymore. And if mock game week is going to be sort of a hybrid of what your prep 
for a regular game week is going to be. Um, you know, do you, are you going to be your regular game week? Is it going to be like half physical and then, then half like prep, or is it going to be all prep again? So even, even if you're going to change mock game week a little bit where if you know, give them the benefit of the doubt and they say half of it's still going to be these competitive periods, one versus ones tackling to the ground, things like that. Would you be doing that during the week uh, as you're preparing for games? And I think if you wouldn't be for a 12 game schedule, like you probably should for a six game schedule. I think there's just not, you. there's no opportunity to start slow. You only have a, a certain amount of games and you're playing maybe your hardest one right out of the gate. To me, yeah, you got to be hitting like all the way up until the the day of the game. Like you just got to get out there and and be physical because it's a 9 a.m. game. It's a team that's got a lot of preparation. I I just feel like you can't start this one slow. So if you get a couple guys injured, they've been really lucky uh, that you know Clayton brings that up every time that they haven't had any new significant injuries, and that should make you feel pretty good. You've been more physical than you've been for a long time, and you're not getting injured. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, okay, well, let's back off the physicality. It's like, no, keep it going. Like it, you know, playing fast sometimes is better than, than not, you know, and, and you, we've seen guys get hurt where you're sort of like going at a half speed or a, a three quarter speed, as opposed to just going all out where you're trying to take a little something off. And that's not normally what you do and you tweak something or you whatever it is. And so I, I feel like, yeah, if this is, you know, I don't mind if you're going to use half the week for prep and half the week for, you know, bringing it and being physical and tackling and all that kind of stuff. But I hope they do that for the entire season. If they're really going to be doing that, this, uh, this mock game week. Yeah. And not to be negative, Nancy continuously, but you know, we've talked about on the show, Ryan, about how USC has always started slow historically. And what has been the pattern? Well, they do mock game week. They kind of transition to a slower model. And like you said, Ryan, you can't start slow against Arizona state. So why not change what hasn't really worked for you? And one that involves identifying that mock game week didn't really work for you or a slower, uh, a, sl- a slowdown prior to the season doesn't really work for you. So, you know, like you said, Ryan, you have to go full speed. I think Chris Steele and Elijah Griffin alluded to that. They weren't just ready for it on Saturdays when it came to full speed tackling. Um, and Dante Williams said as much too, is that, you know, you can have guys who look good in practice, but when it comes down to it on, on game days, on Saturdays, it just doesn't transfer if you're not going, if you're not treating practices like games. So it's, we've talked about it a lot. The key is practicing Ryan. And it sounded like with the hell week and practicing in full pads, they were getting it. They were doing something different, but I am a little, I am pumping the brakes on the optimism just after hearing Clay Helton's comments this week. Gotcha. Uh, one of the things that Clay Helton mentioned, um, I'd asked him about sort of the, uh, inside linebacker depth and where he felt and they, they moved Raymond Scott over. For, so he had kind of moved back and forth, but, he joins the uh, inside linebackers. Apparently, he was very open to you know whatever would help the team. Um, you know, losing a guy like Jordan Isefa, losing a Solomon Tuiyalapupu. There was just not much depth in those uh, you know inside linebacker spots. So I think Raymond Scott will uh, help there. Yeah, I mean that was something that you and I were debating last podcast, I believe, Ryan. So we got our answer thanks to you. And I mean, it just highlights, you know. Every position group, almost every position group, they're kind of teetering on whether or not there's going to be a depth issue. If you look at wide receivers, I know that was talked today, talked about today when talking about the tight ends because Eric Chroma, 
Eric Cromanhook was talking about how they might get more run as a tight end position group just because the wide receiver depth is so low right now. Then you look at the the offensive line. There's not a lot of guys that you feel like have experience that can play. Quarterback, obviously, you have Matt Fink and Mo Hassan, but you obviously want to keep Keaton Slovis healthy. So I feel like and then you look at the inside linebackers, that's partially the reason why Raymond Scott moved to that position. It's just borderline, you know, they have the bodies, but if anything happens, like a negative, co- a positive COVID test or an injury, they might be looking a little dangerous. So I feel like that's something that not talked about too much, especially at that wide, res- wide receiver position, but the depth could be an issue. Yeah, there's, uh, there's some depth problems around, but I think inside linebacker spots were significant. You know, Clay Hilton kind of addressed that. A little bit, and that's one way you can you can help out by moving a guy like uh, Raymond Scott. We'll see if he gets an opportunity to see the field. But you mentioned um, the tight ends, and that's who we got to talk to uh, on Tuesday morning. We had a Zoom call with John David Baker, the first-year uh, assistant coach. You know, he came over from North Texas uh, with Graham Harrell, and Eric Cromenhoek was the player. It's only one player was uh, – in there today, but you have some interesting stuff, uh, I think from those guys and, you know, Eric Kermanhoek talking in the end about, you know, on being on a pre-med track and wanting to be a doctor and stuff. And he had worked with a bunch of good tight ends. I mean, he went to like Zach Ertz's uh, high school and worked with a bunch of these other guys, uh, you know, over the off season and stuff. So he's, a uh, he's been around. So if, if any osmosis from some of these great tight ends, he's been around, it's going to probably help his game this year. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting because we've heard Eric Cromenhook's name pop up in different interviews, even in the offseason, about how he's kind of stepped up as a leader. And uh, John David Baker really highlighted the hard work that Cromenhook has put in where he can be that leader. And and Eric was like, hey, I'm a, I'm a quiet guy, but I think that helps me as a leader because when I do speak, people listen. And so a lot of praise for him and the work he's put in into this offseason. And hopefully that for him, it'll translate on the field. But JDB was asked, you know, what is it going to take for the, uh, the tight ends to get a bigger role on the team? And he was pretty candid about it. He said, you know, exactly what he told us in March. They have to prove their worth. They have to uh, be valuable to this offseason offense and he talked about how um in practice so far the the tight ends are doing that uh, they're a reliable option um jdb was also saying that you know in critical situations like a third and ten a third and long when you need those yards picked up if a quarterback's looking at you and is going to make that throw that shows that there's trust in that position group and he alluded to the fact that that's happening um in practice and so he said that if the Titans can continue that uh, productivity, then uh, they'll be able to contribute on Saturdays. But I thought it was interesting. And and like I mentioned earlier, Croman Hook pointed to the fact that since there are some depth issues right now with the wide receivers, they could be getting more run at, uh, with the tight ends. But it was an optimistic presser for the tight end position group. I just think it's interesting considering we've heard a lot of optimism preseason for certain things, and then sometimes it doesn't really pain out that way. You know, I remember last season we heard um, – I think Graham Harrell talked about how the wide receivers would get a ton of rotation and there'd be, we'd see a ton of receivers getting uh, catches and whatnot, but then it turned out to be a pretty steady uh, group of people getting uh, the, the main lion share of reception. So I don't know if, if it'll pan out that way, especially with Drake London uh, being so favored by Graham Harrell, but the tight ends, you know, it's a talented group. It's just whether or not they can get some run. And there was a lot of praise for Jude Wolf and how much he's matured so far. So uh, look out for him. And then uh, the other thing that was interesting, right? I don't know if you caught on to this, but but Shotgun asked about it because every time JDB mentioned the tight ends, he mentioned Eric Cromenhook and Jude Wolf, and no real mention of Josh Follow. 
So Shotgun asks, like, what's happening with Josh Follow? And uh, JDB said he's slowly working his way back in, and he wasn't in practice shape. So I think there was some hiccups over the offseason. I know I had heard a little bit about that, and I'm trying to track it down more now that we've heard JDB talk about it. But So some interesting wrinkles in the tight end group and, and wondering what Graham Harrell has in store for them in year two. Yeah, I think it's one of those, uh, I guess it's, it's like kind of a sports cliche whenever, you know, sports guys, we end up talking about, hey, the tight ends are going to get involved more this year. Like, that just seems to be something that always uh, comes up. It's always, a, uh, you know, one of the storylines of, of camp. It usually doesn't come to fruition, but I'm curious to see if it does for a couple of reasons. One, you know, being that the, the wide receiver depth might be a, a bit of an issue. And just, you know, now you have, uh, a good friend of the offensive coordinator is running the tight end group. And uh, there might be some chirping of like, Hey man, we got to get the ball a little bit more where it was when it was John Baxter and he's really running special teams. The tight ends were sort of like an afterthought. I don't know. Maybe that relationship uh, helps the relationship between Eric Roman Oak and, uh, and the tight ends and Keaton Slovis another year in, you know, if he feels comfortable, they can, the tight end could always be like this security blanket. Uh, if you want another cliche for, uh, for a quarterback, <laughs> Will it be more uh, this year? I don't know. It's going to be uh, interesting to to see, Keely. But there's, I don't know. Do you you get the feeling that it will be? And we, like Josh Follow has got all the athleticism in the world. But we don't know. I mean, that'll be curious to see what happens there. But um, I don't know. I'm not I'm not too high on that. The, the tight ends are going to be used a whole lot more this year. And I know a lot of USC fans aren't either. But we'll see once uh, once they you know kick it off on November seventh. Yeah, just hearing Graham Harrell talk about how much Drake London is a weapon and how the line between an inside receiver and a tight end has been blurred, it makes me definitely cautious to have optimism for this tight end group. But, you know, you never know. And the interesting thing that you alluded to, Ryan, the just JDB's role, because this is his first uh, go at being a position coach in college. But at the same time, he was an offensive quality control analyst with uh, Graham Harrell at North Texas. So he knows this offense really well. So you have like his first real press conference today as as USC's tight end uh, position coach in the season and then he's saying things like we're progressing as an offense quicker than I thought things like where you wouldn't expect from a first year guy to really say but the thing is is he's been with Grant Harrell so long he knows this offense so well that he's able to provide assessment like that so I just thought it was an interesting dynamic where you know he's the new guy kind of but he also knows this offense really well and to your point Ryan like he might be able to give pointers to the tight ends like hey Graham Harrell likes this out of his tight end so do this better you know there's it's an interesting kind of insider advantage to have him be your tight ends coach uh given his relationship with Graham Harrell yeah uh that will be something to watch for sure um but that was a good little update this morning we got on our zoom call Tuesday morning there's also been some news uh broke the original with the LA Times and we were able to confirm it Keely was able to confirm it about uh, Maneer McLean's uh, suspension and all that. So I, we talked about a little bit with the Harvey Hyde podcast. I don't know as much about this as Keely. So I wanted to get Keely a, a chance to kind of explain uh, what's going on here with Maneer McLean. Yeah, I think it's just interesting. Um, you know, it was something that had been kind of brewing for a bit. And there, it, you could just tell by the way that people didn't want to talk about Munir's suspension that there was something behind it. And so we were trying to track it down uh, even before Clay Hilton announced his suspension. And so I just think at, at the surface, it might look a little simple as far as he accepted uh, pandemic unemployment insurance and why is he suspended. But I think 
if you just look at the context clues, the fact that there are federal investigators involved, the fact that USC is being very careful with how they're communicating, not only publicly about what's happening, but also to the family. Um, I think it just points to the fact that this is a serious situation um, and it's much bigger than the NCAA and Clay Helton. You know, it's definitely a, a bigger situation and, and it's going to be, it's not going to be resolved quickly. Um, so just, Stay tuned for that because there's, I think there's a lot more to this story. So um, I know it might seem a little odd just from the the publicly reported things, but I think there's just more to it, and we're just gonna have to sit tight and, until things unfold more. Yeah. So uh, just kind of stay tuned for that. You know, well, uh, Keely's been on top of stuff, so make sure you check out uscfootball.com for more there. Any other uh, stuff you want to talk about, Keely, before we jump into questions? I don't think so. You know. Um, it's interesting we're doing the special teams preview, Ryan, <laughs> uh, because oh, yeah. we'll talk to Sean. <laughs> <laughs> How funny oh, is that? Like, I just totally forgot that we were going to do special teams preview and just like moving on. No worries. No worries. Well, thing. I kind of forgot, too, until I realized that we're talking to Sean Snyder tomorrow. So uh, we'll probably get more updates on special teams. That's the one thing that we haven't really heard a lot of so far in all these press conferences. So it'll be uh, nice to talk to Sean Snyder and also hear from Chase McGrath. No Ben Griffiths, which is a little a little disappointing. Always love a Aussie accent early in the morning, but I guess we're not going to get one tomorrow. <laughs> No, so we'll get yeah, we'll get Chase McGrath and uh, and if you want to go back, you can listen to I did a, a you know I, I thought it was a good interview with Sean Snyder uh, a few months ago with our like lunch with a Trojan series. Uh, he was on you know Tunnel Vision, so we put it up in a podcast form. You can listen back. You, know, you can go to the Peristyle podcast feed and go listen to that, um, or you can watch it on uh, our YouTube channel or up on uscfootball.com. And uh, it it was just I remember talking to him, Keely. It just felt like a breath of fresh air as far as his attitude towards special teams. And just, I, I think you needed, you needed a different look on special teams, whatever it was, it, it just wasn't working. Um, there were just too many, there were some really great plays and there were just too many bad ones. There was too many times where you're giving up uh, field position that you shouldn't. And I, I feel like there's a great mix there from Sean Snyder of, you know, wanting to make sure you execute correctly and don't make a big mistake, but also putting guys in a position to make a big play. And it, it didn't feel like it was the whole point was to make a big splashy play. It really was not to screw up and not put the offense or defense in a bad spot, but have that potential there. There's upside there. There's upside for a big play. If it's pinning a guy, you know, pinning a, a, an opponent deep with a great punt in the, in the corner and, and great coverage or, uh, you know, a, a nice punt return or a big kickoff return. Um, but it just, it seemed like the, there wasn't going to be any tolerance for the bad plays, but there was upside for good plays, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it was just time for a, a new face, a, a breath of fresh air, you know, a change just because, you know, there were so many hidden yards in 2019, just in special teams alone, where just a change, I think would boost this team uh, so much just because, you know, for all the time they spent practicing special teams, and I know we've talked about this a lot, but for as much as they practice special teams, the return on their investment just wasn't there. You know, so it was either, you know, you've ranted about this before, Ryan, but either just don't practice that much, or if you're going to try and practice that much, get something out of it. And there was just, you weren't seeing that ROI on, on what they were doing. So it seemed like Sean Snyder is this guy who I think can instill confidence in what they're doing at, as far as special teams go and and 
it just seemed much more put together in the one practice we saw. You know, it didn't seem like they were spending too much time on special teams. I don't know how they've adjusted adjusted it this fall, but it just seemed like a better change of pace, Ryan. Yeah, and I think I think you needed that, and you know, you needed something different. So, sometimes you just need to change things up, and I think this is going to be a welcome change. And you're talking about uh, you know Sean Snyder, who was an All American uh, punter himself, and uh, I think, you know, when we go over the first position group, um, I think he's going to be a big help to a guy like Ben Griffiths, you know, and that's, we touted, you know, we talked about what he was able to do in practice a lot and we got a lot of crap for it. If, I mean, any fans that came out to practice, they would have said the same things. We weren't making stuff up about what he could do, but it didn't really translate into games. So maybe this is a good transition to our first position group. Sure, let's go for it. So looking at the punter position group, you have Ben Griffiths, obviously, who's going to be your starter. And then on the depth chart, we actually saw USC list uh, Parker Lewis as the backup punter. So an interesting uh, dynamic there. But yeah, like you said, Ryan, (laughs) I know Dan and I got a lot of grief for our Ben Griffiths hype last season. But the thing is, it was there. He, he kicked in practice. We just didn't see it in games. And whether or not that was a, a Baxter issue, I don't know. Maybe it was, uh, you know, a change because I know Griffiths talked about just the the Coliseum felt a little claustrophobic to him. He said that compared to the Aussie rules football, it just felt a little tight. He felt a little uh, claustrophobic. And so maybe having that first year of college football underneath your belt will help him. Um, so that's something I definitely will look for because um, it we've seen it. It just didn't translate to games. Yeah, uh, it didn't. And I think having someone that was a, a, a you know an elite punter at one point, if there's something a little bit off, if there's something that you know they're asking him to do something, and you know he feels uh, Sean Snyder feels that uh, Ben Griffiths can do it, and then season games or season practice, like, well, this is what we normally like to do, but he's just not doing that. We're going to have him do this instead. Um, it, you know, I've I've talked about this before, Harvey Hyde has mentioned this a bunch of times when he was the head coach at UNLV. They had the best punter in the country in Randall Cunningham, their quarterback. And if the assistant coach, you know, the special teams coach would try to mess with his, he didn't drop it right or he wasn't doing something right. Harvey High would say, don't mess with him. Just let him do what he's doing. Like, you don't need to change. He's punting at 70 yards a time. You don't have to change what he's doing just because he's you don't feel he's dropping it right. And I, you know, we saw what he was able to do. So I think at some point you could coach him a certain direction, but if it's not working... You don't need, I think Sean Snyder would back off and go, okay, we don't need to coach him in that direction. He's good enough doing it this way. If, if that's the way he's got to do it, we'll do it that way. So I, I feel like you're going to see more of like the raw talent of Ben Griffiths uh, in games this year than, than what we saw last year. Yeah, that's what you hope. And you hope it for consistency as well. If you look at the split stats of of how he punted throughout 2019, the averages kind of varies uh, pretty widely for a punter. You know, you'd see uh, in the 30s and then you'd, the next game, he, game he'd be in like the 42 range, the 43 range. And so there were, there were games where he'd do well and then you'd say, okay, what's happening here? And and the split stats of, of um, away, he actually punted less. He not he poorly and I wouldn't say poorly I don't know if that's a fair characterization but he didn't punt as well away game so once again I wonder if this is just like a mental thing and maybe that's something that Sean Snyder can really key into but it sounded like when we talked to Snyder in March that he really connected well with Ben Griffiths so I think all of this is a good uh step for Griffiths development yeah 
Um, so that's something we'll, well, we can't really watch it in practice anymore. So you won't get any crazy <laughs> reports about us. You it know, maybe we'll hear from crazy you know, Ryan. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying crazy. But, well, you said I was pretty measured. Reports. Like <laughs> Keely might've been a little crazy with her reports, but I no. was pretty measured. <laughs> debatable. Maybe debatable. Not. No, it's not debatable. That was, we were all like, whoa, that guy's really good. Uh, <laughs> what about the place kickers? Uh, and just so everyone, um, knows uh as far as and one of the things that was an issue when you know keely talked about some of my rants on special teams they did practice it quite a bit but they also used a lot of resources there was a lot of special teams guys on scholarship and four you got four guys returning and then parker lewis is added to the mix um but yeah so there's five players on scholarship uh for special teams so it's a significant chunk of your 85 limit yeah for sure. Just running down the place kicker depth chart, Ryan, if that's okay with you. I didn't know if you wanted yeah, to add yeah. something. No, that's perfect. Uh, Chase, Chase McGrath, registered junior, you know what you're getting with him. And then, like we mentioned, Parker Lewis. And then you have Alex Stadhouse, the junior, and then Michael Brown, uh, the backup place kicker. So uh, you have a good mix of people in the sense that Alex Stadhouse is going to handle kickoffs, whereas Chase McGrath is going to handle your field goals and PATs and whatnot. And Michael Brown has backed up both of those two. Uh, and then you're hoping Parker Lewis will develop underneath uh, all three of them. Yeah, and I, I wonder if they do mix up the kickoffs at all, um, or it's going to be Stadhouse again. Maybe you know, maybe Parker Lewis wins the job. Who knows? Or you know, I, Who or Michael Brown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there'll be a competition, but that's kind of what we expect going into it. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's the thing is Parker Lewis is an All-American and it seemed like Snyder was pretty high on him coming in. So, I mean, you never know. Special teams is kind of weird. Like one guy can get the yips in camp and then suddenly you're talking about the true freshman. So we can't see, but uh, it could be we could see a different development this year. We could definitely see a different development. And it was funny. I remember talking to John Baxter and, you know, I was someone that would bring up special teams quite a bit. And, you know, he was still good. He would talk to me and stuff, even though he knew I was pretty critical of his unit. And I think, I think he actually told uh, Shotgun Spratling this after one of the games that basically insinuating like, hey, when Parker Lewis gets here, special teams are going to get a lot better. I think he was pretty high on Parker Lewis as well. Now, I don't know if that was just like, I mean, it didn't seem like the kickers themselves were what the biggest problem was. There was a lot of other problems on special teams. I didn't, I didn't think yeah. Parker Lewis was going to be the fix for everything, but I know, I know John Baxter was high on Parker Lewis too. Yeah, he was, he, I actually saw him in Arizona um, when he, cause he's from Brophy prep and he looked pretty good. So, I mean, never know, but I think, I think for the most part it's going to be, he's going to develop under Chase McGrath because Chase McGrath has been money so far for USC. He was 14 of 17 in field goals last season, which is his best percentage rate uh, so far as a Trojan. So, I mean, I don't expect anything crazy to happen, but Parker Lewis is coming in with some high praise. Yeah, and that was coming off the uh, the knee injury, right? So McGrath comes back from that and uh, has a really good year last year. Yep, yep. What about the punt returners, Keely? Punt returners. You have, obviously, Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, Tyler Vons, and then Gary Bryan Jr., who is someone who has been mentioned a lot as maybe that special team spark that USC needs. But the in interesting wrinkle is that apparently Gary Bryan has been injured uh, for an a good bit of time based on the interviews we've heard uh, he's dealing with an ankle injury. So I'm wondering how much that impacts his special teams involvement slash development. Will you have to rely on a guy like Amon Ross Brown, who, you know, can take care of business or at least knows the role. Whereas Gary Bryan jr. Is that a young guy who might need more time to develop uh, coming back from an injury? 
Yeah. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm going to say Brown is just really good at what he does. Uh, Tyler Vaughn's have been kind of steady back there when he would do it, but you see a guy like Gary Bryant Jr. If he's potentially going to, you know, get some run there. Uh, we, I know Sean Snyder loves these, you know, you know, getting some big plays. He likes returning the ball. He likes trying to get, you know, positive yards. Uh, Gary Bryant Jr. is pretty electric dude. If he's healthy, um, it, it'd be interesting to see if he takes over that role at some point, just, you know, you're probably going to see a lot more of Amon Ross St. Brown in the passing game and Tyler Vaughn's if they could get Gary Bryant Jr., who probably won't get as many reps as those guys as receivers, and he can be really effective as a punt returner, I think that'd probably be a good way to go. Yeah, I wonder if you want to just protect your wide receivers just health-wise, Ryan, because we mentioned the, the wide receiver depth so much, but also just maybe Gary Bryant can provide that spark. USC was 95th in punt return average last season with 5.6 yards of return, um, so obviously not great from USC that's something that they could improve on they only had one punt return play greater than 20 yards so it's like I said it's hidden yards if you can pick up more yard yardage in your punt return uh, give your offense a better field position advantage you know it it always helps so hidden yardage can Gary Bryant be that spark is he even healthy enough to be that starter that starter for USC we shall see I'm gonna go out on a limb here Keely I'll give you like a, a 2020 season prediction Ooh, okay. We got to find out some some metrics. I'm not a big, I don't know all the special teams metrics, but we'll pull up some of them. Uh, I'm going to guarantee you, USC is going to be significantly better on special teams metrics <laughs> than what they were last year. And we know like the yeah. field goal kicking percentage, like that's probably not going to go up. That was really high. But I'm talking about like the return game, the coverage game, things like that. I, I think you're going to see whatever metrics you use to cover that stuff. We'll get shotgun to, to dig into that a little bit. <laughs> I think it's going to go up quite a bit. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's necessarily a bold prediction, Ryan. Because the thing is, is you know the talent is there. It just didn't feel like they were coached to their potential. So if Sean Snyder's coming in with the the credentials that he has, I, I don't think that's a bold prediction, Ryan. <laughs> okay, well it's just gonna, is it? You know. I, I, no, I don't I think don't it's I don't it think is. it's bold. Yeah, because okay. the talent is there. There's plenty yeah. of talent there. And you just sounded surprised when I when I said that it wasn't bold. No, I just, well, I mean, that's just something I'm like, let everyone know, like, look, special teams are going to be a lot better. Not like it, you're going to see, there'll be some missed kicks. They're going to, whatever, there'll be a shank punt every once in a while. But I think just in general, the coverage teams, the return teams, like the stuff where all these hidden yardage come from, all this hidden yardage comes from, um, they're just all, that's going to be better. You're going to be like, oh, they didn't put themselves in a terrible spot. Oh, they didn't trot out 10 players on that PAT. You know, things like that, I think, are going to be better this year. So, yeah, I don't I don't think that's bold, but just something that <laughs> need to remind people that that's like, you know how much better it's going to be? It's probably going to be significantly better. Yep. You heard it, guys. Hold Ryan to it if something happens. He's putting yeah, his bold they, predictions. They, quote, unquote, bold. Yeah. If they stink, you, just, you can tell me, like, Ryan, you were wrong. I'm like, yep, <laughs> I was wrong. But I don't think I will be. Uh, what about kickoff returns, Keely? It's the only kickoff place where we have someone uh, maybe – yeah, someone where you're losing somebody to that was a contributor last year. Yeah, this is going to be interesting for USC just because they lose Valus Jones. And Valus Jones had the line share of returns. He had 29 returns for 704 yards, which is a 24 point. 
two eight average, uh, and then he also scored one touchdown, that infamous touchdown against Fresno State to start the season in 2019. Uh, and then you have Stephen Carr, who return who had six returns for 106 yards, a 17.67 average. And then you also have Gary uh, Bryant Jr. as a possibility. You have Almond Ross St. Brown, who's filled in that role, and as well as Keenan Kristen. We saw him back there uh, when USC started to get pretty banged up with in- injuries. Um, so. How do you make up for Bayless Jones? Uh, is that just a Gary Bryant answer? Do you want to put Amon Ross St. Brown back there? Um, what do you do with that? I'm not sure yet, and I think that's something that we would have clarity on if we could actually see practice. That's one of the cool parts of practice when they're all stretching on one side. We get to see a lot of the special team stuff happening kind of in front of us, and there'll be lines of dudes returning kicks, returning punts, the, guy, the punters will be punting. The kickoff guys will be kicking. They'll use the jugs machine to throw balls downfield as punts or kicks. And you get a lot of reps. You get to see these guys kind of go through. And sometimes they're like nonchalant about it. But other times you're like, whoa, that guy looked pretty good. Or they'll do drills where they're catching like multiple balls. It, it, there's, there's some fun stuff you can watch with the special teams. And sometimes it's a pretty long line. And there's guys maybe just taking some turns trying to return kicks. Maybe they just don't want to stretch. So they're, they're instead of stretching, they're doing the kickoff and punt returns. But you, sometimes it's a pretty long line. You get freshmen in there kind of trying to make it. And if they would catch someone's attention, they might stay over there and really be part of the rotation. So that's one of the things I kind of miss about practice because you could watch some guys that maybe you didn't expect to be contributors in the return game, uh, watching them and see what they could do. Yeah, that was always those lines would always show just the talent that USC's players have because you'd see like a a. a Gary Bryant, not a Gary Bryant, a Greg Johnson, like catch, catch something behind his back. You know, guys would kind of just mess around a little bit as people are warming up. So it was always fun to kind of see that and see if a guy would kind of show out and be like, is he an option? And that's where, you know, there might be someone not on our, listed on our depth chart, chart right now who's who's showing off in practice and doing well. So that's something to look forward to or at least look for. Uh, at the start of the season. But something that I mentioned, Ryan, Bayless Jones had a 24-yard average but USC on the whole had a 21 yard average as far as kickoff return and with the fair catch rule does it make sense for USC like if you're Sean Snyder how do you game plan what to do on kickoff returns because is it just a better do you have a better success rate if you just call for a fair catch yeah it's funny I asked him about that and uh it 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 sounds like he was open to it He, he likes the returns he likes the opportunity and to to make a big play um, and it didn't sound like it, you know, it, it sounded like he understood the sort of risk reward aspect of it. I think USC, I did some stat last year where they were starting, uh, you know, you can take a knee anywhere, you can fair catch it and start at the 25 and USC returned way more that I, I think of power five teams. They were up there like number one or two, as far as the number of times they returned kickoffs. So they returned kickoffs more than just about anybody, but they didn't really so, you know, they didn't really have like the great results from it. And there was a significant amount of time you were starting um, short of the 25 yard line. So, but you know, if you're starting at the 22, is it that big of a deal? If, you know, one time you could start at the 30, like I would take that, like you return two of them instead of twice at the 25, you get one at the 30 and one at like the 22. Uh, but I think there was a significant number of them that were just starting short of the 25. And at that point, I think you have to readjust your thinking and, uh, I think USC started to, after I wrote that story, USC started to return a little bit less. Uh, but it sounded like what Sean Snyder was doing was more of he does like the, the, the return. He wants to be able to, the guys to return the ball, get an opportunity to uh, to break a big play. But if it was a situation where they just weren't covering it well, he's going to have them take a knee. 
Um, so it sounds like that's sort of what his philosophy. But that'll be it'll be interesting to watch because USC did return a lot of kickoffs last year, more than certainly more than the average, and it was up there as one of the top teams in Power Five as far as the number of you know the percentage you would return kickoffs. Yeah, and from what you're saying, it at least is I think a good thing for USC that Snyder sounds like he'll adapt to what starts to play out in season you know if USC is not getting a good success rate on its returns then it sounds like he'll at least be flexible to maybe changing that strategy where I just felt like Baxter really was just set in what he wanted to do when maybe the results didn't really show that (laughs) that his strategy was working so at least like there's a a sign of flexibility and and maybe a, a openness to evolving yeah, and it's it's kind of like if you have a home run hitter, they strike out a lot, and they're you know there's you're going to it's a little bit different because I mean strikeout is like an out where it's not really you know you return the kickoff to the twenty instead of twenty five that's not like an out but um it, you know there's there's definitely some risk reward there though you know starting five yards back I'm sure if you look at the advanced metrics your odds of scoring that drive probably go down you know. 10% or something like, I would assume it's something along those lines. So it's not insignificant, but it's not, you know, it's not starting at your four. That's a, you know, that's a big blow, but you know, starting out at the 35 or 40, your chances of scoring that drive, I would, I think would go up significantly. So if it was sort of an even trade-off, I think that's probably one that you would take um, as long as you're, you know, starting at your own 20 versus maybe the the 35 but if it's a significant thing where like every time you're starting at your 20, you're starting at your 18, you're starting at your 21, you're like, yeah, let's just, we're, we're doing this too many. You're, you're going to die by a thousand paper cuts and you might as well just start at the 25 and get, you have such a good offense. There's no reason to put them in any more of a hole uh, than you should if you're only popping once out of every three or four times. And I think if you're, uh, I was watching uh, the NFL, um, you know, last night and uh, with, the, the bears Cordell Patterson, like he returns it almost every time. Like he could be nine yards deep in the end zone. He's returning a lot. And, you know, sometimes he'll go short of the 20, but he, he breaks a lot. I think he scored like seven touchdowns. So in a situation like that, you're like, okay, that guy could, you know, once every three games, he might score a touchdown, you know, it's probably worth doing it. But when you weren't making the big plays, so I, yeah, I think it's gotta be a, a good mix. And I feel like Sean Snyder has a kind of a grasp on that. And he would adjust if, man, you know what? We're just not covering these well. We might as well take a knee. We might as well come out to the 25 as opposed to, oh, yeah, we're hot. Like, we're getting out to the 30. We're getting out to the 35 significantly. So if you get stopped at the 20 once, it doesn't matter as much. Yeah, and that's why it'll be so uh, interesting to see who fills in for that Valus Jones role. Because at least with Valus Jones, you had proof that he could have that potential to break out for a big play, whereas the other guys didn't have as high as a a return average. So do you have that guy who even poses maybe that big of a threat to maybe break off for a long gain, you know? So depending on who really steps up or if someone steps up in that Velas Jones role, does that, do you amend your strategy to who you put back there? I'm just curious to see what Snyder cooks up. I got another bold prediction for you, Keely. Okay. USC yes. will not start the season with a kickoff return that gets called back because of two <laughs> players wearing the same number. Ryan, I'm, I just admire how bold you go. You know, these are just really, really just bold predictions that you don't care if you might be wrong. You're, you're putting, you're laying on the, the, the line. <laughs> I, I can't remember if I asked Sean Snyder about that or if that was during like the February 
sort of press conference or there was some question about, and it just, I, I, and I think maybe the 10 men on the field thing, like he seemed like baffled that that could actually happen. Like he didn't want to say, he's not going to say anything bad. No one's saying anything bad about the previous coaches or, you know, whatever the previous staff. Um, but the yeah. feeling you got from what he was, his answers were just like, yeah, man, that's never going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, no, he just looked baffled. And I actually remember the random thing about the the March press conference we had with Snyder. I think I asked him, you know, what are you looking for in your returners? And he like pounded the table and he said, touchdowns, touchdowns, touchdowns. So that's the kind of fire you want from a new special teams coordinator. I, I thought I remember that little nugget. So I thought I would throw it in there. Nice. Uh, and then the last position group, most important, obviously. I mean, this is the one everyone talks about. We can't, you know. People talk about quarterbacks. No, it's the long snapper, Keely. The long snapper. That's where we want to. That's what we want to know. See, long snapper is like audio. You know, you don't notice audio if it's good, but if there's if bad audio, then you notice it. And long snappers are kind of the same thing. You don't want to notice your long snapper because if you are, that means that something bad is happening. So David Johnson has. I like it, well, Keely. Thank nice you. Well, thank you. I'm taking after you, but not really food analogies. But yeah, Damon Johnson is USC's long snapper. Um, we're actually going to hear from him on Wednesday. So I'm curious what he brings to the table as far as the interview. And then uh, behind him is Jack Cassante, the walk-on. So uh, USC, ha- I who was the Rose Bowl long snapper? Zach Smith? USC Wyatt, has had a pretty Wyatt good Smith? line of... Oh, no, 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 Zach, no, Zach Smith. Him. Yeah, yeah. Zach Smith. And then Wyatt Schmidt was before him, I believe, or was... Shows our our long snapper or our special teams knowledge as far as snappers go, but uh, Damon Johnson is the guy, Ryan. Yeah, and I think he's he's a guy that just there's good audio there. Like you don't really, uh, <laughs> right? You don't know you don't notice the, any co- sort of uh, you know bad bad audio. But he, um, Weichmidt was on the team back in 2018, so uh, he was so after uh, the Rose Bowl. But yeah, Zach. Zach Smith, oh, okay. remember, he he came out and had, um, uh, a, a, like a, a trick shot video when he was coming out of high school. Like he was snapping through, car like the windows of cars would be open. He'd be snapping it through the window as it drove by, and it would go in like a trash can, and you know, hitting three pointers with his long snaps. And there was all kinds of interesting stuff. Uh, what he it was fun to watch, you know, some of his. And he didn't come in. He came in as a um. Uh, a walk-on long snapper and they had a scholarship long snapper who ended up, like you said, getting the yips. And then he ends up taking over. I think it was like field goal at first and they just took over everything. Uh, but he was a steady long snapper. And I think you got the same thing with, uh, with Damon Johnson. So it's what someone that's, you know, that's steady and uh, is not going to yep. make bad plays. And I think you, USC has that with Damon Johnson. He's on scholarship because of it. Yep. Exactly. Thank you for the the history lesson on the long snappers, Ryan. I wasn't I wasn't exactly sure, so you corrected me there. But yeah, Damon Johnson is the guy, and and he's been consistent, and that's pretty much all you want from your long snapper. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's our special teams preview that I forgot that we were even doing today, even though I mentioned it, you know, 20 minutes before <laughs> we got to it. But that's just me. I'm just, I my brain has been a little atrophied. We got we got football coming. I think the juices will start flowing again, and I'll be ready. But yeah, uh, yeah. let's take a. Yeah, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and answer a few questions. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. What are we going to do? This is what we're going to do. 
Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always death. No, we have good listeners. We have good questions uh, from the <laughs> listeners. Only a couple of them this week. Don't forget, if you want to send in a question, we already answered one uh, through the Apple Podcasting app, but you can email us podcast at uscfootball.com as well. As we get the season here, I'm sure there's going to be more questions out there, Keely. Yep, for sure. But we have two this week. Shall we dive in, Mr. Abraham? Jump right in. So our first email is from Mike, who says, it's great to hear about all the key players and spotlight position guys, but how about diving into the trenches and talking about those guys? Good guys, hardworking, perhaps an angle on their strength, how athletic they are, how they test. Ask Coach Helton about their one-on-one snap accuracy, etc. Some of us out here would love to hear about our men in the trenches. Thanks, Mike. Hey, Mike. Unfortunately, and we do want to talk about the guys in the trenches, and it's tough about them a lot because a lot of times if you're just watching a game, you're watching a football, you really have to try to watch what's going on in the lines. And that's why I love when like Keely and shotgun will do their, uh, you know, video recap of, of the games and rewatch and, uh, you know, shotgun's going to tell you who's on the field. If a guy came out, if they brought an extra tackle to play tight end for a play, whatever it was, he's checking out what's going on in the trenches. And we also try to do that at practice and watch the one-on-ones or watch, you know, what's going on at the nine on seven, where it's mostly just running and you're seeing how the defensive linemen play. You're seeing how the offensive linemen play, how the centers are kind of working with the quarterbacks, things like that. And now that we're not at practice, it's really hard to watch that stuff. And we don't usually get, you know, great detail on it from the offensive line coach or the defensive line coach. And, and, those guys haven't been they haven't been available yet, Keely, right? As far as the Zoom calls? No. Uh, yeah. We did get to talk to AVT, Elijah Veritucker, and Brett Nealon. Uh, I believe Shotgun's going to try and talk to Tim Drevno this week. But, you know, the talk at the beginning of the, the presser or the beginning of the pressers that we started was with those two offensive linemen. But it was about returning and, and AVT coming back. So we weren't even able to ask a lot of questions about practice itself. Yeah. So it's tough. It's tough to kind of get into some of those details. Uh, you know, Hey, how athletic are are guys looking? Cause we can see that you can kind of watch the footwork. Um, I think Chris Trevino was doing a good job of tracking every one-on-one rep when he would go and watch practice. And, you know, if we get a chance to talk to the coaches, I think we can get a little bit more about that. But as far as stuff like, you know, snap accuracy and things like that, it's really just tough, uh, right now without being able to watch practice. It's hard enough you really got to pay attention. And uh, like I said, Chris does a good job taking notes and everyone, you know, we're trying to look at some of that stuff, but without being able to watch practice, it makes it really hard to kind of evaluate what's going on on the lines. Yeah. That's what's really frustrating about not being able to see practice. Cause it was like a security blanket of analysis in the sense that, you know, I would watch one-on-ones a lot and that's how you can tell certain guys uh how they're doing even if you're not seeing them on Saturdays that's how I was able to pick up on Elijah Vera Tucker much earlier than I think uh USC's offensive line coach was able to do it just because he kept that's <laughs> a shot I it wasn't I that, that was way more spicy than I uh tried it uh meant for it to be it wasn't a shot at, at USC's coaches I just you just noticed that AVT kept winning one-on-one battles and so you wondered why he wasn't getting more time or more playing time so that's something that you you wish you were seeing because it's really telling and and obviously we can't really answer Mike's question uh, in that sense. So sorry about that, Mike. Yeah, but uh, no, 
we we love it, Mike. We we want to talk about the trenches more. We'll do our best when we get to talk to the coaches to kind of get some more details. But sometimes you're going to get general responses if you're asking like, how does this player look? How does that player look? You're not necessarily going to get, um, you know, comparing them to someone else. Sometimes they just want to be general about all the guys being great and stuff like that. So you run that risk too without being able to watch yourself. Yeah, coaches don't really like getting into specifics in that sense. I think just in like a competitive sense, but also trying not to uh, hurt their players' feelings a little bit. You know, you don't want to demotivate someone in that sense. So yeah, it's a it's a tricky one. You could let a fire under someone, or you could like you know, Keely. I don't know if it's a word, but demotivate them. That's why I paused. I was like, is demotivate a word? I don't. What's the the comparison for demotivate? Uh, It is now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. Uninspire. How about that? Yeah, Um, I love it. Let's go to our final question. It's from Dan, class of 1962, who says, Hi, Ryan and Keeley. Thanks for the insight about what uh, may be happening with Larry Scott. Pac-12 needs real leadership with the media and with support for conference schools, especially USC, the conference flagship school. You blew me away with the goal of the Pac-12 network to put 860 games on TV. No wonder football and basketball were the losers and not the money makers. When one of my granddaughters was playing soccer for Swarthmore, I watched all of her home games on the internet through a school streaming service. USC and other Pac-12 schools could do the same for the non-revenue sports and save the network exposure for the revenue sports. Does USC stream any non-revenue sports? Fight on and win. Dan, class of 1962. Yeah, I don't think I think because of the tier three rights being a Pac-12 deal that USC doesn't stream that stuff. I don't I mean, I'm not super familiar with the the non-revenue sports. Um, I think I feel like that's one of the things that USC could negotiate in this new TV deal like Oklahoma does, like Texas does, where, you know, you can have your tier three rights and make money off it like you do in the Big 12. Um if the if they go back down to like a single Pac-12 network and they're not going to show whatever it is, 860 you know games on television, then you know if you want to watch women's water polo, it's a great match. You know, number one USC, number three Cal or whatever, it's streamed on usatrojans.com and and that's where you can check it out. And they'll probably get a bunch of people to watch it. You know, but um, do you need to have it on the Pac-12 networks? I, I don't know, but you could. Everyone would have access to it. Or they sell some kind of membership to, to, you know, it's live streaming to, you know, or anyone with a season ticket gets free live streaming. But if you don't, then you can buy it for this price. But at least USD would have the option. They could control their own stuff and uh, and stream their own thing. So, yeah, I, I think that would be something that would be good to do, um, you know, going forward. But right now, I don't know the exact answer, Dan, but I believe it. The, that the Pac-12 network has the right to all those things. And maybe they do stream some stuff, Keely. I'm not exactly sure, but I believe, you know, if, if the Pac-12 network wanted to show it, then they would they would get it because they have the tier three rights. Yeah, I don't think USC itself is broadcasting anything on its own. I think the Pac-12 network is always related if they are streaming. So I, if it's what Dan is describing, I don't think it, it happened like he like how he watched his, his granddaughter's games. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, good stuff. Uh, good questions. Thanks uh, to everyone that sent those in. And Keely, good stuff. It's, it's our last, last like pre, like off season week, I guess. Last one. This is crazy. We're gonna be talking about ASU next week, Ryan. I'm excited. Real football. We did it. <laughs> we made. We it got some real football. Yeah. We didn't really believe it was happening, um, but it's happening. So we got it. Uh, all right. Well, that is the uh, Keely. Your I'm Ryan Abraham, and we are. The Parastyle Podcast, our Tuesday show, the Keeley Your Show. Uh, should we call it the Keeley Show? What is it? The Keeley Pod? 
it's the Ryan and Keely pod, the Ryan dynamic duo. Pod. Yeah, and uh, we do plan to come bring back our Tunnel Vision show live with Keely, myself, and Shotgun. We're sort of up in the air as we're recording this. The the Dodger game will be starting like in an hour or whatever. Um, if there's a game seven on Wednesday night, we're probably not going to do a show because we don't want to go up against the Dodger game. If not, we'd like to get back to our Wednesday show and then start doing on Sundays after games. So we'll probably do two days a week on the Tunnel Vision and keep going with the podcast with Harvey Hyde on Monday, Keely, you're on Tuesday. Maybe we move one of them up to Sunday, but probably not because we'll be doing Tunnel Vision. And then we'll do some sort of uh, uh, preview show later in the week with uh, I'll talk to one of the beat writers or one of the publishers that covers whoever USC's opponent is and kind of go from there. So that's sort of the plan. Uh, stay tuned. We, we've been putting up a whole bunch of shows uh, during the week, you know, each and every week uh, on the podcasting um, channel here, the Peristyle Podcast. And we also got some... Uh, we should have uh, some Family Feud ones coming up too, right? Yep. We've been doing pretty much every week. We skipped last week just because it was a scheduling conflict. But we're getting back on track uh, with the feud. So that'll be fun as well. Yeah. All right. So check all those out. Make sure you listen and watch to all of our shows. And check out the art cast too. Those have been a lot of fun. I put those up on uscfootball.com. But you can go to the Trojan Marching Band, You know, the Spirit of Troy there. YouTube page or their Facebook page or uh, any podcasting app, the art cast where Dr. Arthur C. Bartner and I talk about his 50 years as the band director at USC, but some really fun stories. So hopefully you guys check those out, but those aren't on the Peristyle podcast uh, channels. Those will be on the, the Trojan marching bands uh, podcast channel. So check all that stuff out. So, but thanks again for listening, everyone. And we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 